0: Turn in your copy of the scriptures or in your app to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Uh, If you are new among us or visiting, then you should know that we are in the middle of a series uh, through the book of Proverbs. We're spending actually the entire summer in the book of Proverbs. And this week we are looking at parenting wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And if you're anything like me, as in your breathing, you need wisdom when it comes to parenting. Okay? Because parenting has been a blessed thing for Sarah and I. We love it. We are greatly, greatly encouraged by what we see in our kids, but it's also been dog hard. It's just a really, really hard thing. Now, I have four kids uh, Justin's 14, Jonathan's 11, uh, I could do this. Emmeline is eight, and Silas is four. And uh, we love them. They're adorable. They say lots of funny things. I tweet and post about them often, Um, and we are really blessed, but don't get me wrong, it's really, really hard. We did a parenting series, I think it was, oh, I think it was about seven years ago, Um, and I like, and parent, I still feel this way, that it's like uh, putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Do you have any jigsaw puzzle fans? Okay, I'm actually not a jigsaw puzzle fan, but when it's a rainy day at the beach, sure, I'll do a jigsaw puzzle. Take out the jigsaw puzzle, uh, but imagine a jigsaw puzzle that the well, we lost the cover. Well, for me, the cover's key, right? You keep referencing the cover. I think I remember what it looks like when we ordered it on the Amazon. Okay, I, so I don't have the cover, but at least we can, we'll, we'll start with the edge pieces. Well, it turns out someone removed all the edge pieces. Well, that's awesome. Okay. Oh, and P.S., there's actually pieces, this happens in my house, there's pieces of other puzzles that don't belong with this puzzle <laughs> in this box. Let's put it together. It's kind of how I feel when it comes to Parenting. I have a general idea, kind of, of what I want and hope for my children, how to get there, what to do. I need, and I've been using this phrase for years, and I got it from my wife. I need in the moment grace. In the moment grace, in the moment wisdom, that God would give us the wisdom that we need to parent our children because this is really, really blessed. We're very, very grateful. But it's also really, really hard. And so an opportunity to look at the word of God to glean wisdom on parenting is something that I particularly welcome. And uh, hope and pray that the Lord would use in your life and in mine as we open God's word together today. Proverbs 22. Uh, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word? Follow along with me if you would from Proverbs 22 verses 1 through 16. And this is what the word of God says. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself. But the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out. And quarreling and abuse will cease. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. The sluggard says, there's a line outside, I should be killed in the streets. The mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What we're going to do, Lord willing, this morning is spend the vast majority of our time looking at one verse. And I hope to glean from other portions of the Scriptures to bring out important aspects of that verse for our own edification and application. But we're going to take our time looking at Proverbs 22 and verse 6, which I think is among, if not the, most misunderstood proverb of them all. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I hope to spend time looking at what it means and maybe almost as much time looking at what it does not mean because I think that would be helpful for us. Let's look at the text today. Verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. The Hebrew word translated train literally means to dedicate. That's what it means. It's the Hebrew word hanach. Hanach. I've been practicing that. You're welcome. Hanach. And it literally means to dedicate. Fun fact, it's where we get the term, perhaps you hear some similarities, Hanukkah, right? Hanukkah, that's what we celebrate. The, we don't celebrate. The Jewish people celebrate the rededication of the temple by the Maccabees. So it, it, it literally means to dedicate. When we're looking at this verse, uh, we would see it as dedicate your children ...in the way they should go, which may sound a little weird, but think of it. When you dedicate someone or you dedicate something, you by definition, in some way, shape, or form, narrow the use, right? You narrow how it can be used, uh, what it can be used for. So I think of handicapped parking spaces, right? They're ordinary parking spaces, but when you see that... That symbol, when you realize that this is for handicap, we've just dedicated, we've narrowed how much that parking space can be used. It's only for people who have a handicapped placard or a handicapped plate. Okay, I recently visited uh, New York City and visited family, and they now have bus lanes. This is new to me. We didn't have this. I'm driving down Woodhaven Boulevard, which I've driven down tons of times before. There's this wide open lane, which I naturally gravitate towards. I get in it. I realize literally the pavement is painted red. Painted red. Then there's these big signs, bus lane, buses only, high, fine. Whoa, didn't realize this. I've spent my whole life driving down this road. All of a sudden, it's a bus lane. They have these lanes dedicated so that public transportation can get to places on time, even through times of heavy traffic. The use of that lane has been what? Narrowed. It's not just to any person driving a vehicle. It's for buses only. Let's get out of the street and back into our home. I have a chair. I have a chair in the basement. I have a leather comfy chair in the basement. Now, there's no sign on it, but be it known to one and all, this is dedicated to, like me, all right? So that's my chair, all right? And you could sit on it and you can use it as much as you want, as long as I'm not in the room, okay? But the kids know when we're going to watch a family movie, this is dad's chair. And truth be told, the kid can cuddle with me, but it is my Seriously, get out of my chair. So it's, it's, it's my chair. Then Sarah has, a, Sarah has a, a place on the couch. You can sit there. We can all sit. It's fine. But when we're, when we're when we're watching a family movie, this is Sarah's place on the couch. Henceforth and forevermore. It's dedicated. That's what it's going to be used for right now. A narrowing. Dedicate your children in the way they should go. Dedicate your child in the way he should go. Narrow the field a bit. Narrow the mind. Show them what is right and what is wrong wrong. As parents, we want to channel their thinking, channel their conduct in the way of wisdom. That it's not just a free-for-all. Yeah, just pick a way. It'll all work out. No. No, not at all. We want them to understand that there is a way that they should go. Let's narrow the field. So it's not just like every way is equal. Just find one that works for you. Because my child, contrary to popular belief, contrary to a man by the name of Skinner, did not show up into this world as a blank slate. His propensity, her propensity, my propensity, your propensity, is to go towards that which is wrong. It's not just which way is the wind going to blow and we might just go that way. We tend to choose that which is wrong because we're born with sin. It's our sinful nature. Because of our sinful nature, we make sinful choices. And so I need to teach my children. Someone had to teach me. I need to teach them what is good, what is right, what is holy, what is blameless. Dedicate your children, and then this next part of verse 6, in the way he should go. Now, the Hebrew phrase translated in the way he should go is literally according to his way. Dedicate your child according to his way. Now, like all languages, Hebrew can be tricky. And there are are two ways in which the word way or according to his way can be understood in this passage. One interpretation of according to his way could mean according to the child's personality. Temperament, responses, stage, season of life. The Hebrew grammar, the way it's constructed, does not rule out that way of interpreting the passage. So there's no cookie-cutter parenting, right? No two children are alike. Not even twins are alike. I mentioned before, I have four children, okay? And I'll just talk about the oldest two, Justin and Jonathan, my oldest two boys. Um, when they were younger, and we're really in the in the, the, the training and conditioning of what is right and what is wrong, and really focusing on behavior and values—not that we're not focused on that now—but especially when they're when they're younger, we would discipline them. Okay, and uh, when they were when we would discipline them when they were when they were stubborn, when they were rebellious, when they were disobedient, when they were obstinate, they would receive a spanking. Now, we would do that in different ways for different. Children, so for example, Justin is a thinker, okay? I mean, not that Jonathan doesn't think, but Justin tends to be very pensive, very logical. So we can call a flag on the play when he's done something that was wrong or disobedient or stubborn or rebellious, and we can tell him, listen, this is what you've done. This is what the consequence is gonna be. This is what you should have done. Do you understand? We can have that conversation pre-spanking. Spank, cry, hug, restore, it works, okay, for Justin. Jonathan Jonathan is more of a feeler. He's actually, in many ways, like a tougher kid than, than, than Justin. Not tougher is it more difficult to raise, but just like he's got a tougher con- Like if Jonathan's crying, st- everyone stop. Because the kid doesn't cry just at the littlest thing. If Jonathan's crying, you can probably see the bone. So we need to figure out what's going on. So 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 Jonathan but still he feels things very deeply. So when you call a flag on the play and he's done something that's been wrong or sinful, rebellious, disobedient, the idea of the coming spanking, he's just he can't get past Oh my gosh, it's coming. I can't believe it's coming. It's going to happen. How many times is it going to happen? It doesn't even matter. He's going to be, what is it? Is it, how many times is it? is it? Two, 32? It doesn't matter. I just can't believe it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Then it happens. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it just happened. I just got spanked. This is a big deal. Am I going to be okay? I'm getting beklempt. Like, like, it's, it's, he can't, he, he can't get over that. So for me to discuss the issue with Jonathan beforehand would be ineffective. Does that make sense? Because, because he, that's just not how he rolls. He has a different temperament. So with Jonathan, we told him what he did wrong. We would spank him. We would hug him. We would talk to him. We would pray with him. We would restore him. By restore him, I mean it's it's finished. It's over. Do, do you see the difference? It would be very foolish for me to treat one of those children just like the other child. God wired them differently. I'm not going to reach their heart and mind. I'm not going to be able to connect with them if I just assume. Cookie cutter parenting. I'm Peter. This is how I roll. This is what we do. This is what's going to work. Raise up your child. Dedicate your child according to his way. Could be interpreted as according to the child's personality or temperament. However, I think the context throughout the book of Proverbs would suggest something different. Way in Proverbs usually refers to the path someone takes through life, right? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your... Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That's not in all your temperaments acknowledge him, right? That's in all the choices you make, in all the ways you travel, in all the life decisions you make. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. That's the primary use of this word way throughout the book of Proverbs. And therefore, when we're talking about dedicating our children in the way they should go, we would be best to understand it accordingly. So we have this picture in mind of, of, yes, there's no cookie-cutter parenting, and we should adjust for different children because not all children are created alike. But we also need to realize that I'm training my children. You're training your children in the way that they should go. So we have this picture in our minds of narrowing the field for our children. I I like to say I'm I'm defining normal. Okay, I'm defining normal for my kids. Uh, this 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 is they came into this world like naked, hungry, and expecting to be clothed and fed. They, they don't know anything, and they come into this world. I am defining normal. I'm paving a way for them that they should go. Can they step off of it? Of course they can, but it's not going to feel normal. Does that, does that make sense? It's not gonna, what's going to feel normal, hopefully what they're used to because they're going to spend a lot of time in my care, is the way that I'm paving for them. I am, I am paving a way that they should go. Now, I'm hoping and praying that God would use the gospel seeds that we're planting, the wisdom that we're trying to impart, would use that in their heart to cultivate a love for him. That God would save them, draw them to himself, and that they would walk with him all the days of their life. For now, what I'm doing, I'm paving away. I'm defining normal. I'm hoping and praying that if they choose to step off that path, when they have more freedom on their own as they age, because let's face it, they're going to spend more time away from me than they're going to spend with me, all things being equal, right? All of us spend more time away from our parents than we do with our parents. So as they age, as they choose to make life choices, they may step off of that path. My hope and prayer is it would feel really odd to do so and that God would use them that in that moment to perhaps call them back to wisdom. As I seek to define normal, this is normal. It is normal to look to the Word of God for our guidance. It is normal for us to pray when we need help. It is normal for us to be grateful. It is normal for us to show mercy to others, to show compassion. I hope that that's something that the Lord would use in their life. Dedicate your children according to their way defining normal, all things being equal, what do I want to be normative for my kids and what do I want to be odd and different? I'm defining a worldview. I like to say, I call first dibs on their worldview. I call first dibs on their worldview. I want to define something that I hope and pray the Lord will use in their life forever. But it's not just normal and good as I define it, right? Right? It's not normal and good, well, this is what we do because we're Larufas. This is what we do, as long as you're my son, this is what we do, as long as you're my daughter, this is how we roll. It's normal and good as God defines it. As general as Proverbs are, because this is pretty general, right? Train up a child in the way he should go. Wow. Oh, just that? Like <laughs> oh, just the way he should go. That's fine. There are other scriptures that are more specific, like Ephesians 6 4, bring them up in the discipline and instruction what? Of the Lord. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul reminds Timothy that from childhood he's been acquainted with what? The sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we don't know a ton ton of detail about Timothy's upbringing, but I think it's safe to say from the text that the sacred writings, the word of God, were fairly normative in his household, were a normative part of his life. Paul calls that to Timothy's mind and says "This this was normative. Remember from childhood you've been familiar with these things. Look at how the Lord has used it. Now, more to say on that another time, but what I want you to realize is this. We are to train up our children, to dedicate our children, narrow that field, and hope and pray that the Lord would use that, that they would see this as the way they should go. That's what we're drawing our children's attention to. Hey, son, this is the way you should go. Daughter, this is the way you should go. This is what normal life, I hope and pray, looks like for you. Train up a child in the way he should go. Look at the second part of that verse in verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's look at that together. Even when he is old. This reminds me as a parent that I'm not simply parenting for the here and now. There's something more to what I'm doing. It's not just immediately about this it's not just you know when when one of my kids takes the second cookie when we told them to just take one it's really not about the cookies right it's not just about the here and now but that this is about a bigger deal a longer view a greater picture that i'm hoping that the lord uses this what even when he's old even when he's old very early on in parenting we just started saying this something to our kids and we said, what? Are you? And they probably would say, I hope, please don't test them. But they should say the right thing back if you were to say this. And it said, what are you doing? We're not looking. And they say, the right thing. What are you doing? We're not looking. The right thing. Sometimes it's, what are you doing? We're not looking. The right thing. <laughs> right thing. But I'm hoping and praying that that sticks with them. Even when they're old. That what we are teaching them, they don't just do for me. But that they move from doing it because dad said so and because mom said so to because it is right and honors the Lord. Because the vast majority of their life I'm not going to be looking. So I'm hoping and praying that, they, that the Lord cultivates within them a, a heart that loves him, that follows hard after him. And that they would do that which is right not to please me. But to please him who's always looking. To please him who's with them at all times. To please him whom they're always going to be with even though their time with me is very temporary. All things being equal. Even when he is old reminds me that as I parent I need to parent with the long view in mind. So it's not just about uh, getting along with her siblings. It's about how she treats people. How she lives at peace with people. How she shows compassion and mercy towards people. It's not just about obeying your mother. It's about my son uh, understanding how to submit to authority at various times in his life even and especially when it's hard. Right now, it's mom and dad. It won't always be mom and dad. It will be a boss or a police officer or a pastor or another person in authority in his life. But getting him used to it's not just about mom and dad. It's about who we submit to and how we respect. And friends, So much of parenting can seem mundane and tedious and even pointless at times. I think that's true for all parents. I think it's especially true for the stay-at-home mom. She's like, am I really doing this again? Am I going crazy? They say, you know, one of the greatest signs of going crazy is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I.e. parenting young children. Like, Am I losing my mind? But it's hard. It's hard for all parents. I think it's especially hard for you, mom, who's at home with children. If you're at home with your children a lot, it could just seem tedious and mundane. And if you can't see past the nose on your face and it's just all about the here and now, you will think you, are, you have gone straight to crazy town. Sarah will send me texts sometimes that say, I feel like all I've done today is say no. Can you relate to that? Sarah will send me texts sometimes that say, I've spent my entire day disciplining your son. (laughs) It's surely a typo. She meant our son, but... It's hard. If we don't have an even-when-they're-old mentality, if we don't have eternity in our minds... And on our hearts as we're parenting our kids, it's even harder. What am I doing with my life? How many times am I going to tell this child the same thing? Somebody punch me in the face for relief. (laughs) If we don't have the even when they're old mentality, it's hard to see value in what we do. We're seeking to instill wisdom in them, not just so they'll do their homework, not just so that they'll respect mom and dad, not just so that they'll fight less. It's not all about here and now, but it's about a lifetime. We're hoping and praying, Lord, please use this even when they're old. May they not depart from these things. As parents, our hope and prayer is that our children will choose wisdom when we're not looking. That's the hope of, the pro- of, of Proverbs right from the get-go. Proverbs 1 begins that way. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the symbol. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And what? Forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. We are hoping and praying and striving to do as much as we can on a human level. Finite as we may be. That they would forsake not the teaching of their mother and their father. That's our hope and that's our prayer. Proverbs 22.6 gets a lot of press about the latter part of it. When they're old, they will not depart from it. The main subject of the verse is parents. The imperative is to parents. This is what you are to do, what I am to do, to train up a child in the way that they should go. This is the, there's a difference between process-centered parenting and product-centered parenting. And it's very, very slight, yet very, very profound. Our goal as parents is to please the Lord, listen to me, In the process of our parenting. Not the product of our parenting. We are to please God. Glorify him. Seek to be pleasing to Christ in how we parent. Not what we produce. The product of our parenting. I'm not saying we don't play a role in that or even an important role in that. But the product of our parenting is up to God. We have a process that we stick to. We are to train them, dedicate them. We're going to do the best we can to pave a path, to cultivate the ground, to rip out the weeds and make it worth something and say, this son, this daughter is good and right. I hope this feels normal and good for you for all of your days. But the fruit of my labors will be judged by God and God alone ...based upon my heart before him, not by how my child walks. The product is up to him. Product-centered parenting puts the whole thing in my court. It's a man-centered view of a lot of things that really have nothing to do with me... ...and everything to do with God. Process-centered parenting means, Lord, would you bless the process of my parenting. Give me that in-the-moment grace and wisdom. Help me to please you in this process... Because we want to be pleasing to the Lord in all that we do, including but not limited to parenting. And we hope and pray that that which we do will be used by God for His glory and for their good. And so it begs the question what about you? Some of you are parents of multiple children. Sometimes, some of them are adults, some of them are young. Some of you have maybe one child, you're brand new to the parenting scene. Every parent alike, would you say this? Generally speaking, are you living your life in a way that's not perfect? I know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect, but are you living your life in a way that you hope your children would imitate when they are old? Generally speaking. Are you thinking through the long view as you do what you do? Or is it all about the here and now? Is it all about the here and now? Is disobedience just about what just happened right now? Because then that seems really mundane and silly. It's like, is it even worth it? I mean, it's just a cookie. I mean, it's just a this. It's just a toy. So they're fighting. Big deal. But to have the long view in mind. And to hope and pray that the Lord would use this even when they're old. Do you live your life in a way that, generally speaking, you hope your kids would generally imitate? Because that would be for their good and for the glory of God. That's the question that I think we should be thinking through as parents. Now, I want to take a sidestep and ask you something completely different. What do you think the greatest enemy of the church is? Think about that for a minute. What is the greatest enemy to God's people? Some people would say that the answer is persecution. Persecution has surely ravaged the church, continues to ravage the church. And it is unbelievably sad. It's unbelievably tragic. Uh, People are tortured in unspeakable manners, sometimes to death, because of their unwavering love for Christ. It's tragic. It's unbelievably hard. We do well to pray for these people. Hebrews 11 uh, and verse 36 reminds us of those that uh, that have been mocked and flogged and even suffered under chains and imprisonment. We're told they were stoned, that they were sawn in two, that they were killed with the sword... That they went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Wow! That really paints a pretty clear and desperate picture for us. But the next verse ends on a somewhat hopeful note, right? Verse 39 says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. Persecution is hard, but there's hope. Even in times of dire persecution, quite frankly, the church always prevails. Uh, an example is set by which others are encouraged. Their faith is strengthened. The word of God always proves to be Unstoppable always proves to be unstoppable. The gospel spreads. Historically speaking, the church thrives during times of intense persecution. China is a great example of the fact that the more the church is forced to go underground, the stronger the gospel becomes, and people are actually radically saved. The church itself is typically strengthened as a result of the blood of the saints. And Christ himself says that you're blessed if you're Persecuted, right? It's the latter of the, it's the final two Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, sidestep from a sidestep. Some people say that the moral of that story is that we should pray for persecution, and I think that's really ignorant and probably only said by people who have never suffered persecution. I think the voice of the martyrs would look at you and say, what the what, if you think that you're supposed to pray for persecution? That I don't see in Scripture. I'm told that it's going to happen, and I'm told that we're blessed if it happens and that, it, that we will be blessed and we have something better waiting for us. I don't know that we should be praying for persecution. However, the Bible does present like an upside, right? There's a blessedness associated with persecution if it would happen. We're told by Christ himself that if and when we are persecuted for his sake, we are blessed. I don't think persecution is the greatest enemy facing the church. Do you know what I think is the great, at least a greater enemy, if not the greatest enemy facing the church? You ready? I'm going to wait a little longer. False teaching. False teaching. When the Bible speaks of false teaching or false teachers, there's no such upside. You're not going to find a blessed are you if you're taught falsely because it'll force you to really wrestle with what you believe. That's like not in there anywhere. Blessed are you if you endure false teaching for it shall be unto you a heck of a learning experience. That's not in the Bible. None of that. When Paul leaves Ephesus in Acts 20, he refers to false teachers as what? Fierce wolves, right? He says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, pet the wolves. They're cuddly. It doesn't say that. Be alert. Like, watch out. This is a real thing. This is serious. Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. A casual reading through the small book of Jude will show you something similar. Just literally, just the metaphors, the word pictures alone of false teachers. Like they're called hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast. With you without fear, fear, shepherds who feed themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. False teaching is a really big deal. And you'll never find something in the Bible that says, bluster you if you're taught falsely, you'll work it out. No, false teaching is just like, hey, someone, like, shoot the wolf, right? Like, it's a big deal. It's going to sow discord among the brethren. This is not a good thing. It distorts our view of God. It can wreck our relationships with each other. It can bring about unbelievable, even paralyzing, fear, anxiety, unnecessary shame, and in some cases, even death itself. And you look at me and you say, what in the world does this have to do with parenting? Simply this. It's Proverbs 22 6, not Promise 22 6. It's Proverbs 22 6, not Promise 22 6. Parenting Proverbs, interpreted as parenting promises, creates parenting problems. Parenting Proverbs, interpreted as parenting promises, creates parenting problems. Let me see if I can explain this to you. Proverbs connected to an action or attribute of God are always true all the time. Why? Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord. I do not what? Change. I do not change. So the Lord doesn't change. So therefore, if a proverb is speaking of God, it's going to be true. You, you can take it to the bank. Proverbs 12.22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. All the time? Yes, all the time. It's never going to not be true because God doesn't change. Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. When is that true? All the time. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. Proverbs 16, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. How often is God sovereign? Like all the time. It's always true. Proverbs 22, 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. How often is that true? All the time. Do you see what I'm saying? It's always true because it's about an unchanging God. But when we read Proverbs that are connected to a circumstance of life or people... They're generally true, but shouldn't be confused as promises. Does, does, does that make sense? Generally true. A proverb is a literary device whereby a general truth is brought to bear on a specific situation. But they're promises that are conditioned by prevailing circumstances. Does, does, does that make sense? So, so let, me, let me try to call this to your attention from several verses I picked out of Proverbs 21. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. That is true, but there are some diligent planners for which that never happens. You, you, you know that. But generally speaking, diligent planning leads to some sort of abundance or fruitfulness. But there are some people who diligently plan and diligently fail. Like this just happens. The violence of the wicked, Proverbs 21 verse 7, the violence of the wicked will sweep them away. But there's plenty of wicked people who suffer like zero consequences in this life for their wickedness. Proverbs 21, verse 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Really? Are righteous people always finding honor just day in and day out in this world? Is that what we see? There's plenty of righteous people that don't find honor. But generally speaking, there's an honor that that comes with those who pursue righteousness. But it's not always true. Why? Why? Because there's prevailing circumstances that are brought to bear on this situation that show this proverb to be generally true, but we can't say, henceforth and forevermore, every righteous person is going to find honor. That would be what we call a stretch. Proverbs 21 and 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor, but you and I both know the lazy guy sometimes strikes it rich, much to our chagrin. Then we could go on and on and on. I mean, even in Proverbs 22 itself that we, that we read uh, today, Proverbs 22, verse 3 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself. That's not always true. Sometimes the prudent sees danger and doesn't hide himself or can't hide himself. I mean, we could go, you could look at Proverbs each and every time and see this, this general pattern. If it's connected to God, it's always true. If it's connected to people, there's lots of other circumstances to take into consideration. It's generally true, but it's not a, that's what I'm saying, it's not Promise 22.6, it's Proverbs 22.6. Generally speaking, what we should be doing, there's an imperative that's true all the time. We should be training up our children in the way they should go. Even when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's generally speaking, that is true. But it's not always true. And so that brings to mind my childhood bowling career, of course. (laughs) Fun fact. I was on a bowling team from kindergarten through eighth grade. Every Friday after school, my sister and I came home from school, dropped off our stuff, changed out of our uniforms because we were in Catholic school for part of that time, put on um, awesome 80s clothing, very loud pants for me. My sister with the ponytail here and the, what, is it called the belt buckle? Remember that thing, ladies? This deal? Where it came uh, Yeah, so change, walk to the bowling alley, because we were on our bowling teams, and we were on two separate teams, but we were on bowling teams, and um, bowling alley in the basement of an office building, I know that sounds so shady, but aren't all bowling alleys kind of shady, right? I mean, it's not really judging them, they're all kind of shady, so in the 48 lanes, and all the kids were there every Friday, there was a kids' league, we would bowl uh, three games on our teams every, every Friday. And um, we got patches if we did really well, because who doesn't love a good patch, right? If you got three strikes in a row, you got a patch. If you bowled over a certain score, you got a patch. Love those patches. Um, There was a cafe. I remember we can go in and get an egg cream. Do you know what an egg cream is? It's kind of like it's it's like chocolate milk with seltzer water. I know that sounds weird. It's really really good. Um, and you can get French fries. We could get bazooka bubblegum for a nickel each. Who remembers bazooka bubblegum? Please help me. Thank you. Nickel each. You can open them up and read the comic, find out what Bazooka Joe was doing. Gosh, I sound old. Like, I've just never said it through a microphone. But but it... Anyway... Um, this is back in the days when, when you could smoke in uh, public establishments like that. I mean, maybe you still can in, in bowling alleys. I don't, I don't know, but... Um, but during the kids league, of course, you can't smoke at the lane because we care about the kids. So you got to you got to smoke 10 feet back, like have some class. So up here, the people could smoke, but not there because they're kids for crying out loud. Mom would come to work, she'd come home from work, she'd usually get there at the end of middle, maybe the end of the first game. We played three games. And my sister and I would run up to my mom, give her a big hug and tell her that she is blessed among all women. No. We were looking for a dollar. And we were looking for a dollar because we could go to the change machine and we can get four quarters for the dollar. And for 50 cents each, we could get our piece of candy that we loved so very, very much. Now, it's a big deal for any child. It's even a bigger deal for children whose sweetest cereal in the house was Kix. Not that I'm bitter, but (laughs) mom was pretty health conscious, so this was like, this was the moment. This was the moment. We're going to have candy. It's Friday. If it's not Halloween, this is it. Okay? So... We get the dollar. We run to the change machine. We make change. We each take our 50 cents. We go to the vending machine, okay? And I always wanted one of two things. I wanted Three Musketeers or Mike and Ike. Three Musketeers or Mike and Ike. It depended on what mood I was in. And, of course, you put the the coins in. You make your selection. It's before the days of a screen where you can see the selection you're making. Now, it's like there's more technology in this thing than there were in compute. Like, it's ridiculous. You can use apps. You can use credit cards. Oh, my gosh. But you put in your quarters. You put this in. You watch the little, you know, those little spirally things turn. And then your candy comes forward, and it falls down, and it hits the bottom, and you hear clunk. And as you open up that and reach in for your candy, you go deaf. You hear angels You take the candy, you walk back to your lane through the smoke, down the stairs where it is smoke free, take a big, deep breath, and just enjoy. Loved my candy. I think if you read Proverbs 22.6, as promised twenty-two 6, you'll become a vending machine parent. And you'll think that if you push the right buttons, the product you're wanting to will just fall into place. And I think false teaching is one of, if not the most dangerous enemy to the church. And I think a misunderstanding of this passage could really lead to dangerous things if you become a vending machine parent. If I push the right buttons, I get my candy. If I make the right selection, it just works. Every once in a while, I would make the right selection, or at least I thought I made the right selection, and something different would fall out. Okay? All of a sudden, I get red hots. I don't want red hots. I don't like cinnamon that much. Like, I don't want red hots, but now I got red hots. I go to mom and say, Can I have another dollar so that I can get what I really wanted? What do you think she said? Like, H, no. I'm like, no, I'm not going to. Like, that's just, this is life. No, you have to wait till next week. Like, that's not going to happen. Well, now I get red hots. Try to trade with other people. Anyway. Sometimes you'll make the right selection, but all of a sudden, you see the little things turn, and here comes your candy, and here comes your candy. It's coming out, and then it goes, right? Then that moment of panic sets in because all I get during the week is carrot sticks in my He-Man lunchbox. This is it. This is the moment, and so I bang on the vending machine because that just seems like the right thing to do because I'm six and surely I can. Like my, I'm strong kind of a big deal I shake it I couldn't shake it probably weighed 40 pounds. I don't know what it's like I sh- try to shake it to try to get it to move sometimes it just malfunctions I think vending machine parenting can lead to two very dangerous things and the first danger that I want to call to your attention is foolish pride taking credit for something that God, quite frankly, doesn't want to share his glory for. So you've parented in such a way, and God, in his kindness and mercy, has blessed your parenting, has blessed your children. You could see a growing love for the Lord in them. They seem to be making wise choices. And you, deep down inside, think it's because of your button-pushing skills. And you say, well, I mean, I prayed also, but I'm also kind of a big deal, and I can push buttons pretty quickly. No one pushes D7 like me. No one selects C3 like me. And so all of a sudden, what you really credit their righteousness for is the choices that you have made. Well, yeah, well, duh. Proverbs two six says, if I train them up in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. So I did that, and that's what they're doing. And it leads to foolish pride on your part. Probably a judgmental attitude from you towards others. But most importantly, it robs God of his glory. Because God wants the glory for every good and perfect gift which comes from above, which we read about in James 1.17. Isaiah 43.11 says, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Right? John 14.6, Jesus said to them, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, no one comes to the Father except through me. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to His own mercy. Vending machine parenting puts a lot of stock in button pushing and takes a lot of credit for the product that falls down through the crack and ultimately robs God of the glory that is due His name. Seeing Proverbs 22.6 as promise 22.6 I think feeds that mentality. Push the right buttons, get the candy that you want. Yeah, we've just made these decisions, and we put in the right amount of money, and so, duh, it works. When in reality, something worked because God blessed it, because God chose to stir someone's heart in such a way, because God chose to save based upon his sovereign grace and mercy, not based upon my awesome parenting skills. Vending machine parents suffer from foolish pride, taking credit for that which is God's and God's alone. On the flip side of that, vending machine parents also suffer from unnecessary shame and guilt when they see their children choose a path that they were hoping they would not choose. Unnecessary shame and guilt. Thinking, did I? How did I get Red Hots? I wanted, it's so, why didn't I just push, why didn't I just push the right buttons? I didn't want Red Hots. I got Red Hots. Or you see the product gets stuck and you're like, what, what in the world? I, I did push the right buttons, but it's just, it's stuck. Something's not working. Why isn't it working? I'm told that if I put in the coins and I push the buttons, I get the candy. I put in the coins, I push the buttons, where's my candy? And probably the greatest danger that comes from that is you do what I did as a kid. Stupid vending machine. So much for God's promises, so much for God's word. Worked my tail off trying to push these buttons for this kid. And it turns out when they're old, they flat out departed from it. Do you know how many godly parents? How many godly parents faith have been wrecked by a false understanding of Proverbs twenty two as promise twenty two six? Do you know the temptation that awaits a godly parent to perhaps abandon the faith? Do you know how Satan uses that in the minds of godly parents who don't see their kids doing the things they want to do to say, He can't be trusted. He can't be trusted. Look, you trained them. You know you did your best. It didn't work. He can't be trusted. Give up. Let it go. Vending machine parents suffer from unnecessary guilt and. Shame. The word of God tells us that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. I don't own my child's sin. Do you understand that? I don't own my child's sin. You can't own your child's sin. You cannot bear the weight of your child's sin. Only Jesus can. Ezekiel, chapter 18 and verse 20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. My child's walk with the Lord, although I care about it deeply, is ultimately his and her responsibility. I'm paving a way, I'm hoping to define what's normal. I hope they stay on it. I hope they improve the things that I'm short on. But ultimately, if they choose to go a different way, that will break my heart. But I need to struggle and strive to cling to the word of God, to cling to the truth that God must save and God alone, and that it's not my button-pushing skills that save or drive people to or from the cross, Think about it for a minute. What about you? Do you see yourself ever falling victim to vending machine parenting mentality? D7 brings a three musketeers bar. Pushing these buttons, doing these things brings godly kids. Are you tempted to take credit for what God and God alone can do? Or do you realize your job is to please God throughout the process of your parenting and pray that God and God alone would save? Are you beating yourself up? Bearing the guilt and weight of sin and folly in your adult child's life or even your, your younger child's life who's just making choices after choice that you wish they would not make? In Matthew 23, this is not in your outline, but in Matthew 20, I think it's Matthew 23, Jesus looks out onto Jerusalem and he says, oh, how much he had desired to gather them together. But you know what he says? You know why it didn't happen? Because what? You were not willing. He doesn't say, but if only I tried harder. After all, I am the son of God. I could have done a better job. He says, I've tried, I've wanted, I've I've longed for this, but you were not willing If Jesus says that about who's probably a better parent, father figure than I am, right? What with him being the son of God. So if he says that about people that he longs to see come to him, surely the same can be said about me as a dad, a finite dad, a finite man to my children if I see them doing things that I just wish I tried so hard to get them to realize that this is not wise but foolish. Vending machine parenting leads to some scary places. And ultimately causes us to forget that parents and children alike can cling only to the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Romans ten thirteen is true. That for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whether they're young or old, I hope and pray that sooner rather than later for my children, I hope that my children would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and walk with him for all the days of their life. But the story isn't over, and I'm always right in the middle, and God has still given them life and breath and time, and so long as they have that, I hope and pray that they will choose righteousness, that they will choose wisdom, and that they will remember all the days of their life, even and especially in the darkest days of their life, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And for me as a parent, I cling to verses like Hebrews 4, verses 14 and following. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And therefore I can draw with confidence nearly to the throne of grace and find mercy and find grace to help in my time of need. And if you're a parent, you're in a time of need. You need help. I don't care how it's going. You need help. And the good news is, it's not up to your button pushing to get that help. But that that help is free and available through the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can boldly, we don't have to, hey, God, if you wouldn't mind, it's been kind of rough. We can literally just fall right in his right, right at his feet, just fall and say, "I can't no more. I, I'm done. I feel like I can't go on. I'm trying and failing. I don't see hope. I don't know what's... help, help, help." And he gives help to those who are in a time of need. That's our hope. That's the grace that we cling to. That's the truth that we cling to as parents. That God in heaven would use us to show wisdom, but ultimately call our kids to him and do that for his glory and their good. Father in heaven, I pray that you would create within us a greater view of you. That we would understand that as much as our parenting does matter, and it really does. We want to be careful to do so in a way that honors you. The product is really up to you and you alone. Only you save. Only you sanctify. Only you deserve the glory and the credit. And only you, Jesus, can bear the sin and the guilt and the shame that we or our children have. Remind us of these things as we seek to raise our children and train them in the way they should go. And Lord, we pray that they would not depart from it. But we pray that not for our sake and not even chiefly for theirs, but for your sake and for your glory, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.